Hello and welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on Ramdas Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a conversation with Lakshmi and Megan from Hanuman Gardens in California. I had the great pleasure of spending a bit of time with them following the last Ramdas immersion retreat in August. And I got to know a bit more about their individual stories of how they came to Bhakti Yoga, Ram Das, and Neem Karoli Baba. And also the vision and inspiration behind Hanuman Gardens and the love and devotion that fuels the entire operation. I hope that you will enjoy hearing from the two of these beautiful women and also please go to Facebook or Instagram and find Hanuman Gardens and get on their mailing list so you can stay up to date with future events that they'll be offering. Please do remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes and thanks very much for listening. If you can each tell me maybe a little bit briefly about your spiritual path before here, how this came into being for you. <laughs> or what was, what was spirituality like to you in growing up and coming here? By here, do you mean Hanuman Gardens or the world of Bhakti? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The world of Bhakti, yeah. So I studied all kinds of different faith paths and settled on Buddhism for many years. And I was living in Vietnam, so studying specifically under Thich Nhat Hanh's lessons. And then I moved back to California and fell madly in love with somebody who attends these Maui retreats with Ram Das and friends. And I heard one of their main lessons is to love everyone. And initially I thought that was a pretty darn basic thing to do. And I felt like I was already excelling at that and that there weren't many people in my life that I didn't love. And so um, it just seemed a, a little bit shallow initially um, until I went to the retreat and we had a beautiful Q&A session with Krishna Das. And after the session, I was able to corner him and ask him, um, you know, so this whole love everyone concept, how does it fit in with the KKK? Because I don't feel called to love them. I don't want to love them. So why should I? And he dropped his bags, quit everything he was doing, took off his glasses and stared me right in the eyes. And he said that until I work on untying the knots of hatred in my own heart, I'm, I am the KKK. Wow. I'm no better than that. And then I realized, okay, this is where the practice begins, you know? Um, I can and, totally see him doing that too with the glasses in the bag yeah, and was, coming in direct. 
It was very powerful. Yeah. And yeah, he just said, you know, you need to see everybody, including the KKK leaders. You need to see everybody as individual souls and acknowledge that they are all to be loved. And right as he and I were chatting about it, Mirabai Bush walked by and she kind of had overheard some of the conversation and she said, yes, and you don't need to sit by and allow them to create the world that they want. You can love them while actively creating the world that you think is, you know, with the most justice and most love for everybody. So it was basically exactly what I wanted to hear and needed to hear in that moment. And I've been hooked ever since. And when was this? Um, a year and a half ago. Wow. That's a pretty solid first teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of depth to that phrase. Love everyone. Yeah, there's a lot more there. <laughs> and Lakshmi, I know we talked this morning a bit walking around Hanuman Gardens about your path yeah mm -hmm. so five and a half years ago my husband and I found Ram Das sort of as a fluke we wanted to go over and spend time with him just because he's an iconic figure and lo and behold we were given a darshan ceremony at his house in his living room and both Hari and I were completely taken and we have not gotten off that train. So we went from not having any interest in bhakti, yoga, kirtan, anything, to now we've devoted our entire lives to it. Prior to that moment, we had dabbled in all kinds of things. Mysticism, Course in Miracles, Love is Letting Go of Fear, the Gerald Jompolsky, um, into shamanism, American Indian shamanism, and or Native American shamanism, and then ayahuasca shamanism. And um, I can now see that everything that we did was leading us directly to Maharaji. Right. And can you say a little bit more about what it meant to be taken? You said you're in this, you had this darshan and you were both taken. Can you describe what that is? We both felt something really strong and it was different for each of us. And we went up separately. And um, since then, we've been going up together to the to receive darshan from ramdas and uh, receive the mala beads and uh, we both just felt something major had happened and it's hard to describe yeah yeah right but it felt like it took you in and these other parts of your path we're kind of absolved into that. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. So, so then tell us a little bit about how the two of you came into each other's orbits. I remember 
meeting Megan for the first time and I thought she was just the brightest ray of light and um, she seemed so different than um, other women that I've known um, not only in her age group but just in general she was just a beautiful loving bright soul that seemed so enthusiastic about everything and um, I told her our story she was here at the house at Hanuman Gardens um, and it was still being created renovated built etc and I told her our vision and she was so receptive to it she responded so positively and I was just really um, I was just really happy to know her really happy to know her at that point and did you come into each other's lives through the Ramdas community or how did how did you actually connect so my partner, John, is from Ojai and was in the Maui retreat a couple years ago. And somebody else said to him, oh, well, you must know Hari and Lakshmi. They're also from Ojai. And he, they hadn't met yet. So they ended up meeting in Maui and then came back here. And the three of them became friends. And I was out of the country. And when I moved back... At this point, my partner introduced me to them, and it was just love at first sight. And I'll just add something incredible about this being that is Lakshmi, that there are so many different moving parts here at Hanuman Gardens. Something's always being built. Something is always needing attention. There are events that are just wrapping up. There are events that we're planning in the future. We're planting all kinds of produce. We're donating. And throughout everything, she is the spiritual rock foundation in keeping all of our busy monkey minds focused on um, love, on the true essence of why we're doing any of this Hmm. is really to put love on the altar above anything else Mm. and sometimes it can get a little bit hairy when we're planning big retreats with a hundred people coming here to stay for several days and she's just always that reminder of why are we doing this you know love feels good Hmm. right love always feels good yeah we talked a bit about that yesterday Lakshmi and I and it's a funny thing. I, I mean, it's really a funny word that, and you, you know, you had this direct teaching when you landed at the retreat, you know, I don't want to love these people that have these different views than I do. Right. And we have this conditional thing attached to it and it's like an approval rating or something, uh, versus, (laughs) the center of your life, right? Um, can you, either of you, both of you, say a bit about how that has shifted for you over time, what it has meant for 
love to become what it is to you now? I have a complete faith in Maharaji and I'm not afraid. Mm. And when there is an absence of fear, all there is is love. Mm. And that's not saying I don't have weak moments, but I know for sure where I want to be. And that's in love. So if I feel fear, or anxiety, or any other little pestering feelings come up, I address them immediately and find where it is that I'm not putting love first. Mm. And how do you address them? I ask myself what's on the altar. Because if I'm feeling uncomfortable, then something else is on the altar other than love. And if, if you don't mind, can you, could you share maybe some of the things that sometimes you find that are on the altar instead of love? Well, I realized that, um, you know, I'm a mother and I have three daughters. And one of my um, weak spots is desiring that they be happy and healthy and safe at all times. But I cannot control that. And when I put love on the altar, love finds its way into their lives. Hmm. And it finds its way into my heart so that I can surrender to their life unfolding the way it's meant to unfold. Right. Without my interference. Right. Yeah, it's such a great question. I love the way that you pose that, the putting what's, what is on the altar? You know, what's on your puja table? What are you, what's ahead of your relationship with God or with love? And it's interesting to see what puts itself there. It's almost comical. I mean, it can be hilarious to see what's actually there. And I don't, if either of you have any suggestions, but, but, you know, just how do you deal with it when you've got something there that is like a sticking point? Hmm. Okay. Well, a recent example, I was working with somebody and did not feel that they were treating me with as much respect as I felt I deserved or that any human deserves. And so for a few days, maybe an entire week, what was on my altar was the desire of, of receiving respect from this person. And when you, you know, what, when you have a desire for something at the top of your altar above love, then you just never feel good. And so, um, you know, eventually coming to that realization of, oh, hey, I can still love this person and myself and everybody, whether this person respects me or not, um, was a huge waking up moment for me. And hilariously enough, the second that I 
quit desiring that respect and just filled with love for this person and myself, um, I immediately got the respect that I wanted. You know, it was a little Leela, little play there. Because mm-hmm. even as you were saying that, like I saw in your body, like that it's like you're it's at war. Yeah. It's like immediately at, on guard and at war. Like, give me my right hardening instead hardening. of the softening of yeah love. yeah and like and what is lacking like what is it that needs respect mm. right that that right. question comes up too like what is it that needs the respect from right it was just the ego craving you know a pat on the back when really i just realized i'm whole i'm complete i don't need anybody to pat me on the back i'm good right but you ended up getting yeah and then and then what did it feel like when you got what you thought you desired hilarious yeah (laughs) yeah you know because I was totally fine without it and then I realized oh yeah I'm fine with it too and it's just nice it creates a more Mm. pleasant environment Mm. yeah Yeah. there's uh, somebody just sent me this today um let me see if I can find it a quote from Simone Wheel, who I don't actually know. Love of God is pure when joy and suffering inspire an equal degree of gratitude. Mm. That's beautiful. Right? Mm-hmm. And this other quote, the best form to worship God is all forms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about how that love has created Hanuman Gardens. So the Bhakti path is, you know, seeing love in the other. And the other in this case is our Guru Maharaji. And from the moment I received the darshan with Ramdas, I began to slowly trust that the more faith I had, the more grace I would receive from my guru, my newly found guru. And through that process, through the faith and the love that I had for his grace, we surrendered to whatever he put before us. And Hanuman Gardens um, arrived that way. Um, it, it was a house that was not for sale, but with money from the sale of a business that was not for sale after we sold our house which was not for sale (laughs) and every step of the way was a learning um, about things that we had no idea about for instance permaculture historic homes um, new construction um, in uh, a sustainable green building And every step of the way, because of 
our faith, we threw ourselves into it 120%. And once the house was done, the next thing we were offered was the chance to have groups of people come and talk about Ramdas, talk about Maharaji, um, and have satsang. And through our very humble attempt at creating our first gathering, um, a satsang was created and we built on it and built on it. And satsang grew and grew. And now we have monthly kirtans with over 100 people attending. We have a beautiful woman on new who cooks sattvic, Ayurvedic, vegetarian meals. We feed people. We feed those 100 plus people. And we have amazing musicians come and um, sing their hearts out. Yeah, this is all just from the love of our guru and the faith and the trust that we had in him. Yeah, and I'll just add to that that for one, it feels like love to be here on this property and that is much to the work of Hari and Lakshmi and the energy that they keep here, the vibration that they keep. So Anybody that comes up here knows that they want to be up here anyway, floating around. Um, and then another thing, how love expresses itself here is by um, nature as love, because plants totally flourish here. And we've done a lot of soil regeneration, and so vegetables are growing. We have all kinds of fruit trees. Just, um, oh man, I don't know, probably 150 different kinds of plants growing here. So the biodiversity is love in itself. And another way that I see love expressed is that... Um, a lot of the produce that we grow, the vast majority of it is donated to food pantries, shelters, nonprofits, a local school. And it feels like love when I'm dropping off the produce and I see the love in the faces of people receiving it. And it is an act of love, again, of Hari and Lakshmi to donate that time and energy and space, whereas they could have easily put a huge water slide <laughs> on this hill instead of terracing it in the permaculture fashion and growing food there. And um, the last thing that comes to mind right now about love expressing itself here, again, are on the faces of people that come to the events. And we have some diehard bhakti devotees that come, they know the rhythm, they're in it, they feel the love, their faces light up, but it's really magical to see people that come that have never heard of Kirtan, they don't really know Ramdas, but for whatever reason, they show up, and 99.9% um, .9 of the time, the end of the night, everybody is just floating with really open hearts and eagerly asking when the next event is, when they can return, and so... 
less than a year ago, we started these events and we slowly had an email list of three people and then 30. And now it's up to 350 people that are locals that want to come to these gatherings. So love in many forms. Um, I love that you took that there to uh, where love is, how love is expressing itself. I find that like to be so evolved in in the understanding of, of what you're doing here and what's happening here, that love is expressing itself through this place. And I was talking to, to Lakshmi a bit about that last night as I, I think that, you know, when I've come here for events, um, it's taken me some time to understand that that's actually what's happening here, that it, the whole place is a living, growing entity that is coming from this devotion. Maybe you guys can talk a little bit about the a little further, Megan, you touched on it with the the um how the land is an expression of love and the food, but maybe just share a little bit more about the vision for the the food and the the prasad that you're offering the community from from these grounds. Okay, well, I will start by um mentioning Connor Jones, who is a permaculture saint here in Ojai, a brilliant landscape designer and community designer, actually. So Hari and Lakshmi had him come to the property and he helped design much of what we see with, with permaculture principles so that the land is contoured in a way so that any drop of rain that falls will slow sink and spread into the groundwater Mm. instead of just rushing off into our polluted waterways. And um, so that is a strong act of love for the earth, love for our people, love for conserving resources. And... um, Another principle of permaculture is to grow a lot of food and also to share it. And so, um, yeah, we just see that unfolding all over the terraced hillside here. Yep. I I think ultimately we want to grow more food and we're hoping to expand the project and um, eventually have some sort of tent cabin situation where people could come in and help Megan grow the food um, and have them get the experience of doing seva work, you know, from their own place of devotion to Maharaji. Um, I think we have other ideas around you know, monthly, bi-monthly gatherings where we cook the food and feed people. We love the idea of our own satsang or anyone that's hungry being able to come and gather food for themselves, feed themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it just keeps expanding. 
Um, and Maharaji's fundamental principle is if you want to know God, feed people. Hmm. And just to touch base on the idea of what kind of prasad we are offering to the community, um, everything we grow is all the edibles are organic and grown with all kinds of intention. Um, so we have earthworms in the soil that are being loved by compost and we work with local farmers pooling resources both in compost tea, horse manure, seeds, plant starts are donated to us, you know, so it's this whole beautiful network of loving our neighbors, loving our human neighbors, loving our earthworm neighbors, right? Loving (laughs) all the layers. And um, everybody that works here understands that love is to be on the altar at all times. And so we are not walking through the terraces pissed off and carrying a lot of baggage. Or if we are, when we are, it does happen. Um, We know that it is our responsibility to take time to release that and put love back up on the altar so that, um, you know, much like some people will sing to their plants, um, I am a firm believer that plants grow best in an environment where people are not pissed off thrashing around and abusing plants in this way, but they're loving the volunteers around, they're loving the workers, they're showing gratitude for the sun and for the water. And, um, you know, the plants do 80 per, or nature does 80% of the work in growing the vegetables. We just do, you know, a little bit of maintenance here and there, take care of the uh, diseases and encourage insects to eat other plants instead of the edibles that we want to <laughs> be donating. Yeah. I've never seen anyone more joyful in their job than Megan doing her work in the terraces and what she creates up there with um, companion planting, beautiful flowers that are everywhere, colors. Um, just the way that she lays everything out with such care and grace. It's magical to be in her terraces and it's magical to walk her, watch her working. Hmm. And you, you yourself did, had not been into gardening or vegetable gardening or... Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and so how has it changed for you from being here now? What's your relationship to these uh, plants and fruit-bearing trees and the earth herself? I'm in awe. I'm, I feel like I'm just so blessed to be given this opportunity to be in and amongst these growing things. Um, I'm, I'm just grateful and learning. And it was really hard for me to actually engage at first and in the first plantings. And I'm just now feeling like I'm able to, um, get to know the vegetables, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, better. And, uh, I've just recently started to go with Megan to do the distribution to the shelters and there is nothing more satisfying than to see those beautiful vegetables and they are 
beautiful vegetables. They really are. It's true. Um, Being given to people who can really, truly benefit from them. Body, mind, and soul. Right. Yeah, it's true because uh, when we, I was, I got to go with the two of them yesterday to do a delivery and I was thinking back um, to New York City, there's a, a wonderful organization called New York Cares. They have all kinds of volunteer opportunities in different areas around the city and I went to do food distribution in the Rockaways um, a couple of times and <sighs> And it's, I mean, it's wonderful that there's all this food, but I was just looking at the vegetables that we were delivering and I was remembering this like sack of carrots that I was, and this bag of apples that I was handing out to in this, in this moment of service. And just thinking for me in that moment, that, that service moment was really just about connecting with the people. But if that, on top of that, I was able to... (laughs) Um, offer them something that had li- had life in it, you know? Because there's something a bit demeaning about that that bag of apples, you know? I wouldn't want that bag of apples, you know? And I, I mean, I I want everything. I want the figs. I want the tomatoes. I want the oranges. Everything that comes out of here, and um, that's like a a bit of a it's a shift. It's not the leftovers that's going to the other. I'm not giving the other the leftovers. We're all eating from the same tree. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Many times when we donate to one of the food pantries, the other food available to pick up are individually packaged pastries that have old expiration dates and maybe some old white bread, you know, wonder bread and um, maybe some cans or boxes of things. And it is of course, incredibly generous. Somebody volunteers her time to go to the stores and pick up this food and some stores could throw it away, but it's very generous of the stores that they donate it. Of course, these are all beautiful things not to be knocked but especially when we know like diabetic facts you know and what communities suffer from that disease and the remedy you know being whole foods whole produce and um the dichotomy of commonly where organic produce can be found you know it's it's um, no secret what communities have easy access to organic, freshly harvested whole produce and what communities don't. And so we're just helping to bridge that gap a little bit when ideally everybody in America would have enough yard to grow their own <laughs> gardens, mm-hmm. right? Or at least community gardens that they can participate in. But um, while we push for that, change you know this is something we can do today that helps bridge that gap a little bit and I'll also just say a little um, encouragement for anybody listening (laughs) that you don't need acres to do what we're doing Mm. if you have two tomato plants in your yard I guarantee you there's a food pantry somewhere near you that would benefit hugely from whatever excess tomatoes you're growing that you want to donate Mm. so 
Don't be intimidated thinking that you need lots of space and lots of workers. Right. And it depends on where you live. Cause I, you know, here definitely in California, I have a, a friend that has a, all these fruit trees. There's no way to harvest it all. You know, <laughs> it's, it's so much as, you know, a lot of it falls off. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about a little bit more about the, the feminine, the abundance, Lakshmi, right? The embodiment of Lakshmi, love, abundance, the earth, this place and, and Shakti and feeding that with love and the feminine. How does that, what does that mean? And I'm spouting out all those words uh, to you in, in relation to what's going on here or in your own life. Just, I mean, the first thing that comes up is the incredible abundance that I do see everywhere um, on all forms. We have an abundance of white mold on our squash leaves, but we have an abundance of squash still growing. You know, we have an abundance of produce just um, going mad. It's it's pretty incredible. Hmm. Yeah, the idea of abundance is really important to me. Um, I feel that we live in a culture that promotes the feeling of not having enough that there's never enough. And um, people feel um, that, they're, that they're having to constantly grasp at getting more. Mm. There's an emptiness, a poverty consciousness. And I don't believe it. I don't believe in that. And... I believe that um, there's always enough and that in unconditional love, abundance rests inherently. Hmm. And so that's what we like to um, offer is the experience of abundance, whether it be in Anu's cooking or the people coming, visitors just walking the grounds, offering the food from Megan's gardens, or just time with individual people, just sitting with them and really listening and hearing and caring about what's going on hmm. with them. There's an abundance of um, caring here and is that related to the feminine um could be but i don't think it excludes our partners who are giving in their own way abundantly right and this idea of uh, the word abundance and fertility over um, wealth and accumulation and filling that hole, that gap, that never enoughness. And that just even shifting that perspective into 
coming from love that that you said it was inherent. Mm -hmm. That's the inherent state of it is abundance. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's what we are. Right. Right. And so this place is a, is a visual manifestation is of in form manifestation of that for all of us to experience and play and play and yeah. And it is grace that abundance in unconditional love is grace. And this is our guru's grace given to us to share. Right. That was so beautiful, Lakshmi. And um, I was still thinking about the white mold. (laughs) Um, But something here, I'm looking at this picture of Maharaji, and it's just reminding me that yes we do have an abundance of white mold and we also have an abundance of people and knowledge that know how to combat it and we have an abundance of neem oil you know that we are able to apply to it and we have an abundance of daylight hours that we can do this work and there's just an abundance of everything somehow magically it um or gracefully, it ends up working mm. out. And so what would you say to someone who who was in, out of alignment with that, or feeling like that wasn't true for them? Now that you've been living, you've been, you've been part of this living organism as it's been growing, and you've been witness to it, and it's, been coming through you so what would you offer to somebody that doesn't hasn't found that experience in themselves or doesn't believe it's for them or yeah I think it's really easy for people to let's say come up here to this big beautiful property and then say oh of course it's easy for you Lakshmi to say that there's an abundance of everything because you have an abundance of everything but um What I realize is that it is a personal mental choice. It's a personal switch that we all can make and that I've seen in the poorest townships in South Africa and I've seen in other countries, you know, where people make that switch and they say, you know what, I don't have the newest car. I don't have, you know, a big fancy TV, but I am abundant in love through my kids, my grandparents, my community, my, you know, my love for the community we're not saying everything's easy we're not saying everybody has everything but um, I think it is an excuse that some people choose to repeat the mantra I am not enough when in actuality every single individual is enough you might not have enough cereal you might not have enough of something but you are enough and so To me, that is the ultimate lesson in abundance. And once you know that, then you stop maybe desiring um, 
so many things because you realize I am a whole perfect human. I have enough. Mm. So maybe I don't have that fancy TV. Maybe I don't have all that cereal that I was craving. Maybe I don't have that respect of that person that I wanted, (laughs) but I'm still fine because I am enough. I am abundant Mm. in who I am. Mm. Um, right. (laughs) But that is, it's, it is a difficult thing to say because there are a lot of people in very difficult situations in this world. But I've been most inspired by some of these people in the poorest communities that I've been in. So um, it's definitely a a mentality that the wealthy can have as well, you know, that they're not living in abundance when it's just a mantra I think people can choose. Mm. I really believe that there can be heaven on earth heaven is on earth and that we're living it right now and it's time for that um realization Mm -hmm. and some people will come to it slowly and some people will come to it fast but it's happening and it's happening here right and so as you were telling me some this morning that this is actually a, a model is like becoming a model for that possibility. Right. Yeah. So you can experience it. It's not an imagination. We're committed to that. Yeah. Yep. And what I have to take off the altar is any sense of security that it's going to be here tomorrow. Hmm. Because it may not be, you know, And when I put love on the altar, um, I just trust that in this moment here and now it's here, it's thriving, it's beautiful Hmm. and it's attracting the people that want to have that in their lives. Hmm. All right. So, um, I do, I have asked everyone that I've spoken with if they had a actual, a piece of advice for women and girls specifically on the spiritual path? You are enough. That would be my mantra to them. Um, How do you work with that yourself? I mean, you're, you're living it here, obviously, but I think, um, both genders, but especially girls are taught that they need to fit in a box and behave a certain way. And if they become a leader, then they're told they are a bully, you know, or that this is like a negative aggressive trait, or if they aren't as proactive in cleaning the house, then they are a sloth or they're not the, you know, they're not marriage material. And so, yeah, I would just really reiterate um, that everybody has flaws, everybody has challenges that we're all working on, and everybody is absolutely perfect in their own being. And I guess it's remembering that unconditional love does exist and that we need to have it for ourselves first and foremost, and then we can express that to others. Great. Yeah, I, 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 I think 
What Ramdas says about that is that we are our souls, not our roles. And when we connect into our own soul and look at each person that we come across um, as a soul, then we meet in that place of love. And that's a beautiful place to be. And there's no anxiety there. And there's no struggle there. You know, there's there's peace there. And it's a place where girls can grow hmm. and learn about themselves, learn about their soul. And that soul's connection to whatever they call the divine. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And um, I'm in it now, sitting here with the two of you in this beautiful place and in both of your soul energies. It's, I'm feeling it. And uh, I hope that everybody that has listened can catch some of that as well uh, through through our stories, through the sharing and the honest, loving sharing here today. And you can find more about Hanuman Gardens on, on Facebook. And they've also got an Instagram you can follow on. Sign up for their uh, mailing list so you can stay tuned for future events and opportunities to participate here and thank you so much Megan and Lakshmi thank you for uh sitting with me and giving us uh your time and wisdom yeah thank you Melanie it's been amazing From Ram Dass to Sharon Salzberg, Be Here Now Network is home to over 17 amazing podcasts. But we can't do it without your continued support. Donate at BeHereNowNetwork.com slash fundraiser to receive an exclusive gift and help us continue to deliver over five fresh podcasts each week.